up in one of them old farm towns where they hit it hard till the sun goes down. Nobody really seemed to care that we were living in the middle of nowhere. We just figured that's how it was, and everybody else was just like us, soaking in the rain, baking in the sun. Don't quit till the job gets done. That's the only way I know. Don't stop till everything's gone. Straight ahead and never turn around. Don't back up, don't back down. A full throttle, wide open. You get tired and you don't show it. Dig a little deeper when you think you can't dig no more. That's the only way I know. Good morning, Mission View. If you have your Bibles, go with me or your Bible apps. Go with me to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21 will kick off in verse 4. It was a plan that we had executed, and we'd executed it over and over again in our minds, and now it was time. It was 12.30 in the morning. We crept out of the house without trying to make a single noise. We made it out. We shut the front door, put the car in neutral, pushed it in the grass because it was a gravel, it was a gravel driveway pushed it out into the street, pushed it a little bit further, hopped in, started the engine up, threw it in drive, went to Walmart. We each got a large cart and filled it with as much toilet paper as we could find. Went to the checkout counter. The checkout counter lady, seeing this was clearly not a good situation, asked, what are you doing? To which we replied, my grandmother made chili. We bought 600 rolls of toilet paper. We threw them in the bed of a truck. We had three houses that we were going to hit. This was a more innocent time. This was 18 years ago, where you wouldn't necessarily get shot doing this. It was only a small possibility. And so to go that extra level, we thought it was a good idea to don ski masks. And so that's what we did. Donned in all black and ski masks, we decided we were going to hit the first house. 200 rolls of one-ply toilet paper later, it looked like a blizzard. The final roll was utilized to spell out the name of the victim in the front yard. We rang the doorbell and got on to the second house. Perfection number two. Nailed it. Similarly, utilized the last roll, spelled the name of the victim, rang the doorbell, made it to the third house, and there were lights on. We just looked at each other. We said, we still got this. Yeah. We crept up to the house, and as soon as I was getting ready to throw the first roll out of my hand, the floodlight came on, and there we all were in the front lawn, and we just absolutely scattered and we ran and hid in some bushes and we made our way back to our escape vehicle with 200 rolls of toilet paper that we had not been able to use. And so we threw it in the truck and here we'd come to find out that the first two houses that we hit, their victims were spending the night at what would have been the third victim's house. And when we rang the doorbell, their parents called. And so they, alert, they alerted the third house that we were probably on our way, which indeed we were. And so driving back home at 3.30 in the morning with 200 rolls of toilet paper in the bed of the truck, we could not enjoy our victories of the two houses 
We were saddened by the one house that we didn't get. Two and a half hours later, when I had to wake up and go to work, I was miserable because I'd only slept for two and a half hours. But I was also miserable because the mission had not been finished. We hadn't gotten the job done. So I went to work the next morning, and, and as I was at work, coworkers looked at me and said, what's wrong with you? And I began to tell them of our epic evening, how we snuck out and snuck back in without alerting anybody at the house we were staying, how we went to Walmart and purchased 600 rolls of one-ply toilet paper, and how we had utilized 400 of those rolls and just made blizzards in people's lawns, but how there were 200 rolls that we had not utilized in the way we wanted to. And I just continued to bemoan this fact. And my coworker, who was much older, looked over at me and said, sounds to me like you were successful. So we weren't successful at all. He says, I guess that's all depends on how you define success. You didn't get caught. You didn't get arrested. You didn't get shot. You were able to utilize 400 of the rolls of toilet paper that you bought. Sounds to me like it was a pretty successful evening. But I guess it just matters how you define success. This morning as we look at Proverbs 21, we're going to see a contrast of something that we looked at last week, which was laziness. We're going to see diligence. We're going to see hard work. And wrapped up in this theme is the natural byproduct of hard work, of diligence. It is success. And yet the challenge for all of us is how do we define success? Because if we are not careful in how we define success, then we ignore it or we miss it completely. When it comes to us. Proverbs 21, beginning in verse 4, says this. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked are sin. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked are sin. I find it fascinating here that as we look and, and we see that, that haughty eyes, somebody who looks just highly upon themselves and disdainfully at, at everybody else, and, and a proud heart, the, this, theme of, this theme of arrogance. What I find incredible is that it is universal that people hate arrogance. They hate arrogance. We see this in the political arena all the time. This week, we saw 24 million people turn in to, to a debate that's the highest cable audience for anything outside of a, outside of a sporting event. And, and much of the reason why was, was one of the candidates named Donald Trump. And, and I found it interesting that Cher, of all people, has defined Donald Trump as an obnoxious egomaniac. An obnoxious egomaniac. Now, one of the participants on that stage, not named Donald Trump, Rand Paul, he had some things to say about our current president when he said President Obama is arrogant and presumptuous. Unless you think this is just a Republican, Democrat, or an American dynamic, 
I, I love this, that Ayatollah Saeed Ali Khamenei of Iran is fond of referring to the United States of America, of all things, as, quote, the global arrogance, end quote. Of all the put-downs that the Ayatollah could think of, of all the things he could, he could look at America and criticize us for, his favorite go-to is that we are a, quote, global arrogance, unquote. What I find fascinating is that Republicans, Democrats, and Iranians all agree on something. And that is they all agree that arrogance is not a trait that, that should be desirable. It's something they levy against those they disagree with. But here's the problem with arrogance. Arrogance is readily seen when we look at others, but seldom seen when we look at ourselves. Arrogance is readily seen when we look at others, but seldom seen when we look at ourselves. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. We hate it when other people possess those. We despise that about them. Yet we seldom see it about ourselves. The lamp of the wicked sin. The lamp of the wicked or sin. Arrogance has the ability to alter how you see everything. Arrogance has the ability to alter how you see everything. A few years ago, I went to see Avatar when it was just the global phenomenon that it was. And of course, you got the 3D glasses and and, and it was incredible as, as you sit there and you watch what they were able to generate, the pictures and, and how the film was put together. It was a, it was a masterpiece. And, and with, the three, with the 3D, it just made it come alive that much more. And, and forgetting I had the, the 3D glasses on, I, I got a text. And so I went out of the theater to, to check the message. And I still had the, still had the glasses on. And I, I pulled up my phone. And it radically altered radically altered my perception of the screen. Because I forgot I had them on. And it made it so that I couldn't read my cell phone. I had to take them off. And might I suggest that if we're arrogant, it radically alters how we view everything. It radically alters our perceptions. What we believe is reality. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked is sin. When our vision is distorted, our perceptions of our conduct will be as well. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Our culture elevates quick achievement. Culture loves quick achievement. 
There are all kinds of get-rich-quick schemes, all kinds of pyramid schemes, all kinds of multi-level marketing that you can get involved in and become an overnight success. And I'm not railing against any of those things. If, if they're right for your situation, that's fine. But our culture loves the overnight success. It loves quick achievement. But it's dangerous. Because more often than not, it's incredibly fleeting. You have time this afternoon if you want to find something just fascinating. Look up some research on what happens to the vast majority of large lottery winners. Of people who win large jackpots and lotteries. Within a handful of years, the vast majority of them find themselves completely broke. Unable to manage their initial windfall of money. 78% of day traders lose vast amounts of wealth. 78% of day traders lose vast amounts of wealth as they try to achieve it quickly. Financial advisors love to, love to go to one of Aesop's fables, the tortoise and the hare. The hare is, is naturally gifted. It's naturally quick. In every race that it competes in, it wins. And the hare starts to believe its own hype. Starts to believe that, that no matter what happens, that, that its, its superior level of quickness will always ensure its victory. And so sick of the bragging, a tortoise the slowest animals challenges the hare. And as the race starts, naturally the hare gets out to a large advantage. So large, in fact, that it looks back when he doesn't have any sight of the tortoise. He decides to rest, to take a nap, to become lazy. The tortoise diligently continues to prod along, slow and steady. When the hare awakes from the nap, what he discovers is that not only had he been surpassed by the tortoise, but the tortoise had already won. Now, I'm not a stockbroker. I'm not going to tell you to invest in mutual funds, ETFs, or stocks. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to tell you how to invest your money. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But this desire that our culture has to elevate quick achievement and to get rich quickly, the vast majority of times ends with people being broke. It ends with empires being built and empires being destroyed. There aren't shortcuts. You want to be successful? Work hard and sustain it. 
And when the press doesn't come right away, work even harder and sustain it. And just continue to prod along. One step at a time. Diligence is the path to sustain success. In his book, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell cites the Beatles and Bill Gates as two primary examples for his argument that it takes 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours to become great at something. 10,000 hours. On the surface, that seems like an insurmountable amount of time. And yet, broken down, understand that 10,000 hours can be achieved and accomplished in 20 hours a week for 10 weeks, or for 10 years. 20 hours a week for a 10-year span. The diligent often succeed and build sustained success. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Plan and work. Plan and work. There are no shortcuts. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Our culture oftentimes ignores deception in order to celebrate the achievement. Our culture oftentimes ignores deception in order to celebrate the achievement. And as Christ followers, we need to be different. We need to understand that the ends don't always justify the means. We need to be people of integrity. Rebecca Campbell, last year in the New York Times, wrote an article entitled, The Surprisingly Large Cost of Telling Small Lies. I'm going to read you an excerpt from that article again, entitled, The Surprisingly Large Cost of Telling Small Lies. She writes, Every time I tell a lie, I feel a tightening in my chest and sweat on my palms. Just a small amount, because I only tell little lies. But lies they are. They place me in a false future, increase my level of stress, and prevent me from becoming as creative as I can be when I'm fully present. Stress saps our energy and causes nasty consequences for our bodies. We know that lying creates stress, polygraph tests, measuring blood pressure, perspiration, pulse, and skin conductivity can pinpoint a lie with tremendous accuracy. I recently discovered firsthand the corrosive effect of lying. For several years, I have worked as a director of a nonprofit organization. We do great work in the community, but as a team, we have always floundered. A few weeks ago, I caught the leader of our group lying, not whoppers, 
but a series of tales about why he was late, why someone could not make a meeting, or why emails had not been read. I confronted him, and he justified his lying, saying that it avoided unpleasant consequences. It was obvious why our team wasn't working. People didn't trust each other. The result was a culture of obfuscation and backstabbing in which we achieved less than we were capable of achieving. Staff members and volunteers became disheartened and eventually left. The leader's constant lies, no matter how insignificant they seemed to him, had caused a breakdown of integrity and trust in the organization. And without integrity and trust, nothing worked. Shouldn't be news to us. God's principles are timeless. And they are true. And God's principles would tell us not to lie, not to be deceptive. And so when we conduct ourselves in business, as business owners, as employees, the same needs to be true. We need to be people of integrity. Forbes magazine points out five ways you can see if your business integrity is showing. Number one, meet your commitments. As business owners, as employees, meet your commitments. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Number two, be honest to a fault. Demand. Demand truthfulness from your employees. Demand truthfulness from your employer or seek out a new one. Be honest to a fault. Number three, be strong and consistent with your moral code. Be strong and be consistent. Don't make exceptions. Practice what you preach. Practice what you believe. Number four, treat everyone with respect. Treat everyone with respect. Number five, build and maintain trust. Build and maintain trust. These are five ways to see if your business integrity is showing. And why is this important? Why is this important? Because as Christ followers... People are watching us. People want to see if we're different. People want to see if we really put into place that which we say we believe. It's easy to make value statements. It is hard to practice those statements. So business owners, make sure your employees are people of integrity. Make sure they are people who will not damage your brand or your reputation. Employees, make sure the business that you work for is one that practices integrity. 
And if you feel like your business sacrifices their integrity, then it's time to look for something else. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor in a snare of death. See, it looks easier, it looks better to deceive, to lie, to cheat on the surface. It looks like the path of least resistance. And yet what it creates is more heartache and more destruction in the long term. Be people, be businesses of integrity. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. Our culture embraces violent achievement so long as the ends are in agreement with the medias. Our culture embraces violent achievement so long as the ends are in agreement with the medias and the culture at large. Look at at what has happened over the last year. Today marks the one year anniversary of of the death in Ferguson. Since that time, we've seen, of course, the riots in Ferguson. We've seen riots in Baltimore. We've seen riots in Cincinnati. We've seen riots elsewhere. So long as a culture embraces the, or culture embraces the violent achievement, so long as the ends are in agreement with that of the medias and the culture as a whole, This isn't meant to to be commentary on Black Lives Matter or police brutality, all of which are are greater issues than than we can discuss in just a few mere moments, all of which are much more complex. But look at it how situations have been escalated and in some corners celebrated. And what's the result? Destruction. Destruction of lives. Destruction of property. Destruction of communities. The appetite of violence, and this is the problem of violence, its appetite is never satisfied. It never has its fill. It never has enough. It absolutely loves destruction. Violence loves destruction. But the problem, in addition to never having its fill, is that it doesn't care when it destroys its own promoters. It doesn't care when it destroys its own promoters. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do What is just? The way of the guilty is crooked. 
but the conduct of the pure is upright. The way of the guilty is crooked. But the conduct of the pure is upright. This is why it's so vital that we determine how we define success and not allow others to define it for us. That we determine how we define success and we don't allow our culture around us to determine how we define it. Because the way of the guilty is crooked. But the conduct of the pure is upright. You know what that means? It means some steps along the way are going to be harder. Because our culture would tell us, take the shortcut. You need to achieve quickly. Our culture would tell us, it's okay to lie, it's okay to deceive, so long as the ends justify the means. Our culture would tell us, it's alright to celebrate violence if there's an injustice. It's alright to fight and to destroy for what you really need. And if we're arrogant, our vision becomes altered. And if we're arrogant, what we so long for is not righteousness, often not to do the right thing, but to become a success. So if our vision's altered, we're willing to take shortcuts. We're willing to lie and to deceive. We're willing to fight and to destroy so that our success in the eyes of others can grow, become bigger. And yet God's Word tells us there's a better way. And that better way is to be a person of integrity. To conduct yourself in a manner that's upright. It means some steps along the way are going to be more difficult. And it means your success probably isn't going to happen as quickly. And it means you're going to have some awkward conversations Because honesty is a value and a principle. And it means there are going to be times that you want to fight and destroy something or someone. But you need to instead forgive. And every step along that way, people would look at you and they would say, Ah, but you're not as successful. 
Don't allow them to define your success. Work hard. Be honest. Be a person of integrity. Be willing to forgive. And your path won't be as easy every step of the way. It will be straight. Walking that straight path as opposed to a crooked one leads to peace that is worth every step. It's more difficult along the way. God, I pray that you would help us see in ourselves in the arrogance that lives. God, that we would fight that. Pray, God, that we would be willing to work hard for the long haul. Not seeking a shortcut. God, that we would be honest people and people of integrity. Even when we think it'd be easier to be deceptive. God, that we would be willing to forgive. Not just wanting to fight and destroy. God, make our paths straight. And allow us to enjoy the peace. It's a natural result. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.